Welcome to the audio sermons of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We hope you are encouraged by listening. For more information, please feel free to browse our site at www.sbrpc.org. Over the past several months, uh, we've been working our way through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians. And we've just kind of been working through it passage by passage, which is normally how we do things here, working our way through a book or a portion of a book of the Bible. Um, and I need to say this, we, we've said it uh, just about every week, that you really do have to work to keep your eye on the ball in Galatians uh, because there's a context uh, for this letter. And let me just kind of give it to you in brief here. Um, Paul had wound up in the region of Galatia, and while he was there, um, he preached the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles in Galatia, which, um, if you're looking at a map, was located in modern-day Turkey. Uh, He preached that through faith in Jesus, all your sins were forgiven, and you were credited with the very righteousness of Jesus. So that's the message, on the basis of faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone, you could be assured that you are loved and accepted and delighted in as God's treasured child. And so many believed that message, the the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And so Paul planted churches throughout Galatia. However, after Paul left... There was a group of false teachers that came in and they were basically saying something like this. They were saying, what Paul told you about believing in Jesus, that was right. You need to do that. But he left some stuff out. And he gave you a watered down version um, of Christianity. And to be sure that you're God's child, you need to believe in Jesus and keep the law. Right? It's all right there in the Bible, they would have said. You know, laws about needing to be circumcised, and there are dietary laws. There was a Jewish calendar to follow, and certain ceremonies to keep, and so forth. And so Paul wrote back to the Galatians, his friends, these churches, to say, that is not a little tweak to the gospel. That's another gospel altogether, which is actually no gospel at all. Paul was saying this other false gospel is slavery and bondage. Only the true gospel in Jesus alone can set you free. With that said, follow along with me as I read from Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 15. This morning, and after I read for us, uh, I'll pray for us. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. This is God's holy word. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. 
You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we, eager, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever and ever. Let's go before him now and ask for his help. God, you are so incredibly kind to us um, that you do not leave us without a light for our feet, a light for our path, but you have spoken and given to us your very word that we might know you, that we might know what it means to follow after you. And Father, we pray this morning that as we look at your word together, you'd open the eyes of our hearts that we might see you, that we might see Jesus, and that we might be built up and encouraged and strengthened in him. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So this passage is about freedom, right? For freedom, Christ has set us free. You were called to freedom, Paul wrote. Um, you know, I can say that, and we can read those words on the page, um, but without realizing it, I think to many of you, those sound like empty words. Because for many of you, sadly, you haven't experienced Christianity like that, I'm afraid. Um, you've experienced a version of Christianity that is sometimes harsh and hard and restrictive and even oppressive. Or maybe as an unbeliever this morning, that's your impression looking from the outside in. Um, and yet, and yet, the very first thing Jesus did when he began his public ministry was quote from Isaiah 61. Do you know what that says? It, saying that he was anointed to proclaim liberty or freedom to the captives, which was Jesus' way of saying when he opened that scroll to that specific spot to begin his public ministry, he was saying, here we go. And I want you to know what I'm all about. I, I want you to know what my ministry is all about. 
It is all about freedom. Jesus came to set you free. And Jesus later is the one who said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's at the heart of what he came to do. And here's Paul on top of that saying again and affirming that. He's saying the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it is all about freedom. A freedom that's a catalyst for producing in you deep and profound transformation, setting you free to be who you were meant to be. The word freedom for Jesus and Paul is not an empty word. It's what you and I were meant to experience in Jesus. And so I want us to see three things in Galatians 5, 1 through 15. First, the gospel sets us free from guilt and shame. Second, the gospel sets us free to hope. And third, the gospel sets us free to love. Freedom from guilt and shame and freedom to hope and freedom to love. So those are our three points. Uh, First, freedom from guilt and shame. Paul wrote in verse 2, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. You know, and circumcision was his shorthand way for describing keeping the law. Jesus and the law, Jesus and my performance, Jesus and my obedience. And he's saying, if you try by any of your effort or performance to put yourself in a right relationship with God, Jesus will be of no advantage to you. Right? In fact, verse three, he says, if you accept circumcision, you're obligated to keep the whole law There you go. He's saying, if you go down that road of looking to your performance, Paul is saying, realize you are obligated to keep the whole law personally, perfectly, perpetually. And I'm out of P words. Do that. And verse four, he says, you have fallen away from grace. There's no grace available to you. If you go down that road, you are stuck in your guilt and shame. Philip Reichen, I love the way he, um, he, he put this. He wrote, if you will not let Jesus do everything for you, he can do, then he can do nothing for you. And that's the rub, though. Because there's something in mankind's heart whether they're living in first century Turkey, Galatia, or 21st century Baton Rouge, that wants to contribute something, even if it's just 0.01%, to prove that we deserve God's love, that we can repair and fix what we've broken, to prove we deserve God's forgiveness. Paul was saying, don't give in to that temptation. Stand firm. That's how he begins this section. Right? Fight that temptation with everything you've got. You have to defiantly stand firm in your freedom in Jesus alone. Verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. If you look further into the passage in verse 11, you hear Paul saying, 
but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. You know, you know he's saying, in other words, a message that says work hard, try harder, be good, be better, keep the law, you can do it, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. He is saying there is a nothing offensive about that. It's actually kind of flattering to think that you could contribute something. But the cross is deeply offensive because it says you cannot fix or repair what you've broken. There is nothing you can contribute to your salvation. The cross offends because it says everything had to be done for you. Your brokenness, your sin, your lack of righteousness was so complete that nothing less than the death of God himself could atone for your sin. That's offensive and freeing. Because you know what that does? That makes your performance invisible. There's nothing you could ever do to make God love you more. There's nothing you could ever do to make God love you less. Believe this gospel and your performance becomes invisible and you are free because you are covered with Jesus' performance in your place. So stand firm in the freedom you have from guilt and shame. The question is, how do you practically do that? I mean, what does that look like when you're tempted to either pride in your successes or despair in your failures? 500 years ago, Martin Luther wrote that there's nothing wrong with God's law at all. It's good. It's good when it's kept in its proper place, but it was never meant to reign in your conscience. And here's a brief excerpt from Luther's commentary on Galatians 500 years ago that I think will give you an idea of how to stand firm in your freedom from guilt and shame. He wrote, if the law presumes to creep into your conscience and tries to reign there, you must make the right distinction. Give no more to the law than is right, but say. But say, and I'm going to come back to this. He's saying you stand firm when you learn how to talk back to the law and you learn how to argue with your own heart. And here's what Luther says to the law. But say, you want to climb up into the kingdom of my conscience, do you law? You want to reign over it and reprove sin and take away the joy I have by faith in Christ and drive me to desperation? Keep within your bounds and exercise your power over the flesh, but do not touch my conscience. By the gospel, I am called to share righteousness and everlasting life. I am called to Christ's kingdom where my conscience is at rest and there is no law, but rather forgiveness of sins and peace and quietness and joy and health and everlasting life. Do not trouble me in these matters, for I will not let an intolerable tyrant like you reign in my conscience, which is the temple of Christ, the Son of God. He is the King of righteousness and the King of peace. 
my sweet Savior and mediator. He will keep my conscience joyful and quiet in the sound, pure doctrine of the gospel, in the knowledge of Christian and heavenly righteousness. You know, there are days, there are days I wish I could have that that paragraph tattooed on the inside of my eyelids so that every time I close my eyes, I would have to see it. To stand firm in your freedom from guilt and shame. He is saying, you need to learn how to talk to yourself. You need to learn how to argue with the law and keep it in its bounds. You need to learn how to preach the gospel to yourself. When the law threatens you, With guilt and shame, the offense of the cross is your sweet refuge. In in that threatening moment, you've got to preach to yourself, Nathan or whatever your name is, Jesus came to hush the law's loud thunder on the cross, and he did it. It's over. Left naked and ashamed in our sin, totally exposed, Jesus came and he died naked and exposed on the cross to cover you with his righteousness. You are free. Stand firm in your freedom. Now I get, you know, we're in Galatians in a first century debate of adding Jewish laws of circumcision and dietary laws to follow. It's hard to connect to, right? Just insert anything your heart seeks to add to Jesus. Being a good parent, a good employee, a good husband, or a wife, or a student, or being moral and religious, or doing ministry the right way, or getting, or, or getting being on the right side of history right, or being reformed enough, or doing the spiritual disciplines just right. Whatever it is, add any of it to Jesus, and Paul says, Jesus is of no advantage to you. But what's the reverse of that? What's the reverse of that? If you live my faith in Jesus alone, he is of great and wonderful and soul-fortifying advantage to you. He alone can set you free from guilt and shame to the point that your performance becomes invisible and you really are free. All right, let's shift to the second and third points now. It's really important for... I think for us to realize that gospel freedom not only sets us free from something, our guilt and shame, but it also sets us free to certain things, right? Which I hope to show you in these next two points. So second, Paul tells us in and through the gospel, we've been set free to hope. Verse five, through the spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness, So in English, some of you probably know this, Uh, you've sat through enough sermons, Uh, hope in the English means almost the exact opposite of what hope means in the Greek. I can explain like this, when one of my kids comes to me in the next couple weeks at the end of the school semester and says, I hope I passed my final exam in algebra. That will not inspire confidence in me um, and uh, because it sounds more like wishing because hope in English conveys uncertainty. But in the Greek, hope meant absolute, guaranteed, unshakable certainty. 
Hope meant it is money in the bank that you can count on with 100% assurance. Paul wrote, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. The hope of righteousness. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying the gospel sets you free to know with absolute assurance that one day, someday, you are going to be made perfectly righteous. Right now, you have a declared righteousness from Jesus, and that is glorious. But Paul says, look out to the horizon, because one day, that is going to become real righteousness in your life. The beauty you were meant to be one day, someday, one blast of God's unveiled glory and beauty and you will be changed and transformed completely into that beauty. You'll be made perfectly whole. You won't be able to sin anymore. You'll no longer be fractured and broken in your desires, in your relationships, in your longings. You'll be fully human. A wonder that if you saw a glorified version of your fully human self today, you'd be tempted to fall down and worship it, is what C.S. Lewis said. When you look in the mirror today, metaphorically, and you see all your character defects, and they are plenty, and you see your sin and your shortcomings, and your lack of righteousness, and your besetting temptations in life and failures, it is so easy to despair and to spiral down in shame. But what would it look like in that moment to instead live by faith and stand firm in your freedom to hope in your coming righteousness. So there's this place where Eugene Peterson was writing about faith in terms of imagination and seeing that has always been a tremendous help to me. This is what he wrote. He wrote, when I look at a tree, most of what I see, I do not see at all. I see a root system beneath the surface sending tendrils through the soil, sucking up nutrients out of the loam. I see the light pouring energy into the leaves. I see the fruit that will appear in a few months. I stare and stare and see the bare branches austere in the winter snow and wind. I see all that I really do. I'm not making it up. But I could not photograph it. I see it by means of imagination. And if my imagination is stunted or inactive, I will only see what I can use or something that is in my way. And I'm just asking you this question about your faith, about your imagination. Is it stunted? Is it inactive? Or is it alive, making you able to see what you cannot yet see? Can you see what Jesus is making you into. That's what Paul is pushing us towards. You've been set free to hope towards that guarantee, to eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Jesus, the creator of all things, came into this world 
And on the cross, the creator hung, back lacerated, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, limbs wrenched out of joint, nails through his hands and feet, spear through his side, thirsting intolerably. On the cross, the creator was unmade, all in order to remake his creation, all in order to remake you into what you were meant to be. Can you see that with the eyes of faith and stand firm in that freedom to hope? His resurrection from the dead is the receipt marked paid in full. It is coming. Now the objection is going to come up and it's going to sound something like this. Well, that's fine. One day, someday, in the distant future, I'll be remade wholly and completely. But that doesn't help me today. I can't do a full thing on it here this morning. But you need to take that argument and that objection to history itself. C.S. Lewis in his chapter on hope and mere Christianity writes, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Real hope is never static. Real hope always pulls you in a direction and exerts a shaping influence and power on your life. Real hope changes you and changes you deeply. My wife knows that I like jigsaw puzzles. Um, and so she bought, b- bought one and brought it home a couple of weeks ago. It was a picture of like a scene at the beach, you know, beautiful sunset, lots of colors, all that kind of stuff. And I dumped it out on the kitchen table. All these disjointed and fractured pieces laying there on the table. But it's that picture on the front of the box that keeps pulling me forward to fit the pieces together, to find where this goes and that goes. You know, that night when she brought it home, I I worked a couple hours on it, accomplished a lot, but I didn't finish it. And so I went to bed and got up the next morning, went to work, and I came home and a miracle had happened. Miracle. It was totally complete. What I learned later was it wasn't actually a miracle. Um, My kids kept walking by that puzzle, and particularly William, I think, put that puzzle together. I was a little disappointed I didn't get to put the last piece in, but it's okay, because that's what happens with puzzles and pictures. Haven't you noticed this? It's irresistible when it comes to puzzles. That completed picture, it pulls you into the completing of it. It dances with your imagination, and it pulls you forward. Wonder at the hope of righteousness. Let it play with your imagination, your faith. You have been set free to hope. And the more your eye is upon that complete picture, 
the more you'll find yourself pulled into that beauty and it exerting its shaping power on your life. All right, last, let's talk about how the gospel gives us freedom to love. Verse 6, Paul wrote, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Verse 13, You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we're going to say more about love in a couple of weeks when we start unpacking the fruit of the Spirit, which comes later in Galatians chapter 5. So I'm going to be brief here. But I do want you to realize, especially for those of you who have been concerned in this series on Galatians, that we've been talking too much about freedom. And I want to assure you that Paul is quite serious about how you live your life, about how we were meant to live. Did you hear him saying in this passage, don't you dare use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh to indulge your self-centered desires? Paul wrote, use your freedom to through love serve one another. Not only is he quite serious about how we live, but he is saying the gospel, living by faith, places even greater demands on you than the law ever could. And think about it this way. What's harder? A law that says give 10% of your money to the church. It's hard, but it's achievable. A law that says practice sexual faithfulness to your spouse. A law that says don't steal. Or is this harder? Love your enemy. Love the child who betrayed you. Love the spouse who broke your heart. What's harder? You are set free to love. And love takes you to deeper and further places than the law ever could. You know, it's so fascinating what Paul says in this passage. And I want you to look closely with me at two verses in this passage. Verse 6. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And then comes verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the, tr the truth? Do you realize what Paul is saying here? He's saying something like this. Galatians, you said, let's add the law to Jesus and get really serious about obedience. And Paul said, here's what's fascinating about that. When all you had was Jesus... You were running well. You were actually doing great at obedience when all you had was Jesus. You were obeying the truth. And then you added the law to Jesus. And your obedience actually got worse. It diminished. How, how is that possible? 
I'll put it to you very simply. Your problem with obedience to the truth isn't a matter of law. It's a matter of being happy enough in Jesus. That's what Paul is after in Galatians. He's pleading with his friends, don't walk away from Jesus for law. Run into Jesus' arms and find your freedom and you'll find yourself living out of joy and becoming who you are meant to be. It's when you're set free, when your performance in fact becomes invisible, that you are finally free to love others in Jesus just for the joy of loving others and loving Jesus. And so let me ask you, when's the last time you did anything just because you love Jesus. Not because you were scared about what might happen if you didn't. Not because you were scared about what others might think of you. Not because you were trying to get on God's good side somehow. When was the last time you did something just because you love Jesus? If it's been a while or you can't remember when that was, this is why you need to preach the gospel to yourself and stand firm in your freedom until you become happy enough in Jesus that love begins to spill out of you in joy and freedom. Let me end with a little riff on an illustration I heard some 20 years ago. And so you imagine a young child, imagine a young child whose parents bought him a pet goldfish. They brought it home in that little glass, circular, spherical bowl, whatever, and um, he watches that goldfish in that bowl sitting on the table day after day, swimming in circles in that little glass bowl. And uh, once you imagine this young child um, decides... That poor goldfish, trapped inside that bowl. I need to liberate that goldfish. I need to deliver that goldfish from the confines of that bowl uh, and set it free to experience this great big world outside of that bowl. And so you imagine he scoops the goldfish out of the water and plops him on the table. What happens to that goldfish? immediately it begins to die. He just killed the goldfish, right? Why? Because that goldfish was made and designed for the environment of water, and it is only free to be what it was made to be in that environment. Do you know the environment you were made for? Because you were made to live before your Father's face in freedom, free from condemnation, Free from guilt and shame. You are made to be free to hope towards a day when all the brokenness and the sadness will come untrue. You are made to be free to love God and one another from a place of deep happiness and joy. And the only way to know that freedom is to be in the right environment. And that right environment, Paul is saying, is in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for 
meeting with us today. Thank you for giving to us your word and your spirit who takes these words, your very word, and writes them upon our hearts. Father, we pray that this word would indeed challenge us and comfort us that your word would push us further into the arms of Jesus, that we might experience the freedom we were meant to experience in him. And that that freedom would involve a wonderful freedom from guilt and shame and a freedom to hope in the coming world and a freedom to love one another in you out of a place of deep joy. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this audio sermon of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. Please feel free to pass it along to others who might be encouraged by this message. Also, if you have any questions or would like to know more about the church or a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, please feel free to browse our website at www.sbrpc.org or contact the church office directly at area code 225-768-9999. Again, thank you for listening.